Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Oren Claff, who's the author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script. Before we settle into the show today, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the podcast and to the YouTube channel. I know that you're going to love Oren's insights, and if you're returning for more, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Make sure you just take a little peek at your phone quickly if you're listening in as the podcast and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. That way you will never miss an episode and you'll always have some inspiration in your pocket every couple of days. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, just scroll down and hit the subscribe button and ring the bell there as well. That way you will never miss out when there's a new episode that comes out. One last thing, if you like what you hear today, please share this with your friends and your family. Oren has some incredible sales strategies. And if we can help just one person to break through their barriers, to sell more and make a better life for themselves, then that can only be a good thing. So make sure you share this show far and wide. Alrighty, let's get into it. As I mentioned, Oren is a two-time author and his latest book is called Flip the Script. And it's not only engaging, it's highly educational, but I think most importantly, it's super, super fun to read. They're great stories. The way people buy things has changed radically over the last seven to eight years. And that means the way that we sell to consumers has also changed. And in his latest book, Flip the Script, Oren takes us with him to many of his presentations and his deals. And in the process of writing along, he shares his intuitive and actionable steps that you can implement into your sales process to improve your results, to go all in, and ultimately to win more business. Now, from a personal perspective, Oren has been hugely influential to me. His first book, Pitch Anything, was instrumental to the success of my business and brand. His writing style was, when I discovered it, I found it to be refreshing, insightful, and incredibly useful. And I can directly attribute many, 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 many sales to the techniques and strategies that I learned from Pitch Anything. And as you'll hear in Flip the Script, Oren takes us to the next level in understanding how people buy and how we should be selling to them as entrepreneurs and professional salespeople. This is by far my favorite interview of 2019, and I know you're going to love it as well. So please help me in welcoming Oren Claff. Oren Claff, welcome to the Go All In podcast. What a pleasure. It's great to have you here, mate. Thank you. I appreciate that very warm welcome in a funny accent. And the funny accent to match. Well, you've been in my ears and in my hands reading the books and listening to the audio books for many, many years. But before we get into that and, and your new book, Flip the Script, I want to share a little bit of you with the audience and, and maybe let them get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us where are you from and, and how did you get into all of this craziness that you're into right now? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm from everywhere and nowhere. You know, my dad was an academic, so we were at universities and University of Jerusalem, University of Wisconsin, University of Illinois, University of Delaware. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, it's kind of like being a military kid. But ultimately, I'm from California. I had a software company that needed to raise money. We didn't know how to. And that created a wound, and so we had to give up on some opportunity because we couldn't figure out how to pitch. We didn't know what a pitch was, what a pitch did. You know, we just told people we have a great company, and these were the we had this revenue, and this is the people buying our product, and all the information was out of order. People loved the company, they couldn't understand it because we didn't give them the information they needed in the order that they needed it, in the amount of detail and time that they can absorb this kind of thing, and it didn't look normal. And so that created a wound in me to learn how to present things so people will want it, so people will move towards it, so people will want to close on it and give you money without you even having to ask for it. And that's where I am today. So I close that gap between not knowing and going to a pitch, no objections. The pitch, you know, it's funny. Um, I was at a pitch the other day for a board of directors, you know, selling our services. And I gave the pitch, you know, short, sort of 15 minutes. And at the end of it, like, there's some clapping, right? Okay. And the head of the board director, like, what are you idiots doing? Like, we don't clap for our vendors. They're like, oh, that was great. Can you do that again? What if we get Tom and Paul in here? Oh, I love that. Hey, that part where you told me, can you do that again? Hey, let's record it this time. And they're going to, you know, they're like, no. They're like, yeah, oh, you're hired. Don't worry about it. But can you get the pitch again? You know, just like the craziest things. A guy was in here uh, last week and we pitch him on a, a pretty large, you know, $300,000 engagement, year long, got to sign a contract. And uh, he gets up to leave and we went through the scope of work and everything you would do, you know, to sell a client. And we're walking out and I kind of put my hand on his shoulder. Hey, Jonathan, you know, how do we, how do we get this signed up? 
goes, what do you mean signed up? I signed it an hour ago. It's on the conference table. <laughs> I've been talking to your dumbass for an hour when the deal is already signed. But this is, happens to me over and over again. The deals come and they close. Not because people love me or like me, although people do do business with people they like. It's more they don't do business with people they don't like. It's because I'm going through the sequence that gets somebody to want to buy from you without them seeing the sales process mechanically happen in front of them. And they just internally go, you know what? I love, this is a great deal. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to achieve instead of, so what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Well, we really like what you presented here today, Rob, but, um, you know, if you could send over a proposal, I got to get it up to my partner. And, uh, you know, once a month I meet with the uh, Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch and they have to look at all our ideals when we can find them. And uh, if we have any questions, we'll get back to you. That's not where you want to be. So mm-hmm. that's how I got into this world, I think. So before you wrote your first book, Pitch Anything, how long had you been like crafting these techniques? Cause it seems like you'd yeah. been in business for quite a while and then you'd written that book and then that, that's where it all kind of took off for you with the, with the writing and whatnot. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I was just a, you know, regular old business guy doing deals. Um, I, I worked in a small firm and I entered this world at a very specific moment in time. It was like, you know, going to get a, a t-shirt out of your wardrobe and opening up, and there's Narnia back there. There's there's lions and spaceships and creatures and centaurs and people running around. You know, like uh, so. So the, a, a world was opened up to me that I didn't know existed, and it happened like this: we were in a deal, uh, we we're trying to close on a million dollar ticket. You know, so it was a probably you know ten, twelve million dollar deal. One of the, we needed one more ticket, a million dollars. And the buyers were just becoming difficult. They didn't want to sign a document. Emails going back and forth, got a little heated. I turned over my partner. Uh, he went back and forth with them a little bit on email. They didn't want to sign a document. We're going to wire the money. And in those days, it would ding. You know, your, your not Gmail, but the Microsoft, you know, thing mm. would ding. And it dinged. And I looked at the email, the subject line, three words, all caps, lose my number. So my partner sent that to the buyer, to the investor. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, you can't talk to people like that, mm. right? And I'm like, this deal is done. We're going to lose a commission. I'm working on it for months. And I was just sat back on my chair and I'm like, oh, this thing is completely dead. Bing, another email comes in. So sorry, we signed the document. Sorry to be a hassle. Sent them over. Happy to be in business. And I go, what just happened? How can you tell somebody to lose my number and they come back around and send you a million dollars? And as I started unpacking what this guy was doing, and he was a natural, lack of neediness, high status, not pitching, making people understand that we've done our credibility, we've done this a thousand times, this is not difficult for us, we're choosing who to work with, right? You don't get to choose us, we choose you, we're very picky, we'll say no to people, and as all those things came about, I started seeing what he was doing, and and those are the basic mechanics, and so I boiled it down to, as you know, and pitch anything, People want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them. People only value that which they pay for. And you can write that on a note card, tattoo it on your arm, scratch it on the surface of your computer. Doesn't matter. Live your deals, your, your business communication, your, your, you know, whenever you need resources from someone through that model and you'll do better. People want what they can't have. Chase that which moves away from them. Only value that which they pay for. Yeah, yeah, it's beautifully said, and it's they're, they're words that have echoed in my ears for for a long time. And when I discovered your material, when you when you wrote that book, I first read the book, and then I had the audio book, and it was just your writing style. It was like fun. It was engaging. I really enjoyed that aspect. And you know that type of writing is just very difficult to do because you're trying to write an instructional book on how to do stump something. You know, it's a paint by numbers style thing almost. But you, then, you, then you've got the storytelling in there and it's funny and it's fun. And when I, when I discovered the audio book, it connected with me even more. And I think because I was just really open to it. And at the time, my sales were kind of in a bit of a doldrums. And I would listen to Pitch Anything on the way to an appointment and on the way out of an appointment. And I'd go to about five or six appointments a day in my digital marketing agency. So selling websites and AdWords campaigns and all those sorts of things. And no joke, Aaron, I must have listened to that book at least a hundred times in different forms. And I got to a point where I would just, I'd just press the button on my phone and I'd just drag the slider to somewhere random. So I wasn't picking up where I left off and I'd just listen to that. And 
just little little idiosyncrasies in there. And you know, the biggest thing that the biggest mistake that I was making prior to discovering pitch anything, I was just first of all talking to the wrong person, and there was a little bit too much neediness in there, and my presentations were just too long. So I worked out that if I went in there and was just like not arrogant about it or rude about it, but just in a way where it didn't really matter if I won the business or I didn't, because I had plenty of opportunity, plenty of sales opportunity, plenty of nice fat pipeline. And when I started shortening my presentations and being a little bit more, well, I can handle this. I've done this a hundred times. It's like, do you want me to do it for you or not? That's kind of the the closing technique that was that was there, not in such a, a blunt way, of course, but they were the, that was the vernacular behind it really. And it started to work and I started to get some momentum and I'm like, I swear it's Oren in my ears doing this. I'm getting another one, another deal, another deal, another deal. And I, when I started to get some momentum behind it like that, I was like, hang on a minute, let me write this actually out. Let me get a pen and I'll write out. And then when I've got my pitch down proper, I was just bang, hitting these targets, bang, bang, bang. And it was just a really, really empowering experience. And suddenly sales went from being something that was like, oh God, I've got to go out and talk to these clients to be like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go and do this. And it became really, really fun. When you were writing the book, was it something, was that your intention behind it? Because that's what happened, on, at least on my anecdote on my end. Well, here's, uh, I got around to the writing the book a little bit differently. What I said, they asked me to write the book. And I said to myself, I've read a bunch of books and I go, this is old. Everybody's just writing what the last person on the, you know, write what the last person on the left wrote, but put your little bit of spin on it. <laughs> it's the same. So I said, I commit to not writing anything, idea, concept, story, example that anybody else has written. And mm. so that ruined my life, but it produced an amazing piece of work. So that's a commitment, right? And as you know, I mean, it's the same thing for sales presentations. If it's cliche, if the buyer has heard that pitch before, if he can guess what you're going to say next, they will tune out. Mm. And so that's the thing that you don't know in the book what's going to happen. Do you remember the first time you saw The Matrix? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was filmed here in Sydney. That's why I oh, remember was it. it so yeah. Well. yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so excuse me, you're watching The Matrix and you go, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Right? This is not <laughs> like a romantic. I, I don't. I, and you're on the edge of your seat because you're like, this is nuts. This is not follow. I'm I'm engaged, but it's not following like a normal movie sequence. What is happening? And that's what created so much attention. And and wait, what does I have to do with my sales or a pitch? When somebody feels like they've seen your presentation before and they can guess what you're going to say next, what the next slide is, what the next thing is, and it becomes cliche, they check out. You can't pay attention to it. Mm. Mm. So, so take me, take me forward. Cause there's a bit of a hiatus. You're like, like Metallica. You, you made it, you made the black album and then made me wait forever for the next one. Yeah. How long was it between, uh, between drinks there, between the next book? Yeah, it was six or seven years. Uh, you know, I think cause pitch anything is very comprehensive mm. and it wasn't until I felt like things have changed enough. That's a new and additional tools are needed. And so I really feel like today buyers couple things. They buy how they want to buy, not how you want to sell. And number two, and it seems obvious, but if you really think about it, it's pretty profound. And number two, buyers want, don't want to be sold. If they can see the mechanics of selling, right? They want to buy. They want total autonomy because it's so easy. They're not going to put up anything from you because it's so easy to find a replacement. Just Google, you know, mm. whatever it is Rob does, mm. right? And, you know, five, 10, 15 options come up. So, so buyers don't want to be sold. They want to buy and buyers want to buy how they want to buy in their process. They want total autonomy. They want to feel in control. So the question for the new book is how do you give somebody a feeling of total control while you are advancing the sale? Right. And, and so it's how to want something and be honest about it. I'd love to work with you. This is super interesting. I'm excited about it. And the same time, not caring about it. Mm. So how do you hold those two states simultaneously? And because I think selling has changed quite a bit, pitching has changed quite a bit. That's what the new book focuses on. Absolutely. One of the things that, that, really, that really caught my attention in the new book, Flip the Script, is you really give autonomy to the buyer. And for those ladies and gentlemen out there listening and watching this podcast, thank you for tuning in, by the way. 
make sure you grab a copy of Oren's book. Um, grab it on Audible. Grab it at your local bookstore. Flip the script. When you when you first get into it, it's like you're handing over a lot of autonomy to the buyer, and that feels very risky. It feels risky to go through the process and allow them the space to decide. But it's the ultimate dichotomy because you've got to give them the space to decide because in order for them to make a buying decision, you need to get out of your own way. And if you're pitching to somebody and you're trying to sell them with 1970s cheesy sales techniques, they can spot it from a mile away. And I love, I love how you start off with the status alignment and the status tip off. Can you share with the audience a little bit about that if they've never heard that before? Because for me, that is absolutely paramount and critical to selling in 2019, 2020. Yeah, I think if somebody believes that you're a salesman and they are the all-powerful buyer and they have the ability to grant you the gift, the prize of money or a contract or a sale, a bunch of bad things happens. It's very difficult to sell from the low status position. Mm. Physiologically, something happens to people when they feel powerful over you. They see you very narrowly through a very narrow focus. They see you at a surface level. They don't understand your nuance and depths and character and integrity and experience. And they only see you transactionally. And more importantly, they take risks that they wouldn't take with someone who they respect and was a peer. They ask for a bigger discount. They treat you in a certain way. They drag out the decision-making. They ask for, they, they have the opinion, hey, you never get something you don't ask for. They ask for discounts and they're not concerned about you. They just want the most amount for themselves when they see you in the low status position. It's confusing, right? Because if you go to a school or you know a hospital and you see people who are lower than you, Right? or see people who aren't as capable as you, see people who don't have as much money as you, you feel a, like a social responsibility to want to take care of them. And so you as a seller want to trust your buyer to, to, to behave in that same way. They, they're, you're selling to Microsoft, you're selling to Oracle, you're selling to you know, XYZ large company. They have money, they have experience, and you think, why negotiate me, a tiny little vendor, mm-hmm. to you know, you know, an ankle biting? You know this doesn't count, but, but they don't right? When they feel more powerful than you, then they transactionally want to get the most for themselves. So you have got to increase your status to peer level before you can pitch what it is you have. Status alignment. And, you know, as you said, a status tip off, how do you tip off to someone that you are at the same level of them in your industry? That's the question, you know, and we answer that in the book, but, but that's the question you should leave this in. How do I tip someone off without saying, Hey, Rob, you know, you, you and I are, uh, you know, at the same level. Or I consider we're, we're peers. You and I are the same. You know, we have the same level. You never convince somebody in words. How do you show someone mm. that you are peers? Well, one is say, hey, glad we could find some time on the calendar. I'm busy this time of year. I don't know if I'm smart or lucky or what, but we're super busy. I know you're busy too, right? Let's use our time to the advantage we have. Does anybody here need fluids in or out? If not, Let's get this meeting started. I think we're going to start the 1003 meeting right about now. Mm. Right? Somebody came in. Oh, hey, John, you're here for the 1005 meeting? <laughs> right? Because the 10 o'clock meeting started a while ago. Anyway, let's take advantage of the time we have. Here's what I think we do. Right? I've got prepared a pitch for you. It's eight, nine minutes long. Um, explain exactly what we do, the big idea, the problem, the solution, how we do it, what it is, a value proposition, the ROI, what it costs, what you do to be involved, you know, how to get involved with us. And then in terms of what we have, put in context your problem. And if our circles overlap, then we'll figure out a way to go forward. Otherwise, hail fellow, you know, hail fellow, well met, put another name in the Rolodex and uh, nice to meet you. But that sounds like, and so I know I'm talking fast, but buyers are like, oh crap, I'm in the hands of a professional. You haven't said anything about what you do and your status in the industry and the accounts you've closed. They just go, this guy knows how to run a meeting. Mm-hmm. Take my phone, turn it off, put it down, turn on my laptop. I'm only going to be here for 20, 30 minutes. This guy's going to take me through everything I need to know in the right order. This is awesome. Sit back in the chair. Somebody get me something to drink. This is going to be good. Hey, bring Harry in here. He's going to want to see this. Mm. That's the first step, signaling that you understand the professional, you know, and, and that's in my business. You know, maybe if you're a sports agent or, you know, an athlete or something like that, it's different in the world you're in. But signal that you know how this business is conducted and you're doing efficiently, professionally, and straightforward. That's a status signal that's easy to tip off. There's other ones, of course. Well, one of the things that I've noticed in, in my industry in the digital marketing space over the last 
maybe 10 years of doing it is I find that it's very confusing for customers. Very, very confusing. And these days, customers have got enough information to be able to have an informed conversation with a vendor. So vendors, as a result of that, have become very commoditized in this space. And what I've, what I've found to continue to win business, the way I get status alignment with them is by showing them that I can handle their account. And I, I kind of, the, the physical analogy I use for myself, it's like I grab you by the scruff and I've got it for you, man. I, I've got this for you. I can handle it for you. This is not my first rodeo. I've done this hundreds of times. It's going to be okay. It's very stressful to begin with. We're just going to work through this in a methodical way. And if we're going to fail, we'll fail fast and move on to the next thing and just keep moving forward in, in, spite, in spite of the failures that we might have along the way. And it's about setting expectations and letting them know that I can make it happen for them. And without realizing what I was doing, I was doing my drum solo there, baby. I was delivering my flash roll to these people. And it was a, a really fun thing to read it and to hear it from you, to have some words put around it. And then every now and then I'm like, Oh, of course, of course, that's what it is. That's what it is. All of these things have been hiding in plain sight for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. And I think the, the thing is to show people that you have solved that problem that they have many times before, mm-hmm. and it's a simple layup for you. That's when they start to have certainty that you can deliver the solution, right? So, so if somebody, uh, I mean, give me, give me like a tech, an example of a buyer that you'd be talking to and what, what their needs are. Someone I'll be dealing with, you know, they might have an AdWords campaign that's not converting for some reason. You know, they might have $3,000, $4,000 a week going out the door and they're not getting a return on their investment. You know, they they spend the money, but they get maybe $300 worth of sales. So we need to turn that campaign around for them, get them converting. We know they've got a good product, but there's just something not quite right there. And they're just fed up with their current supplier. So we go in there and solve that for them. And so what, what are some of the things you do to, to, that solves that problem? Well, the first thing is you look at the web page speed, how quickly the, the web, website is, the landing page is loading. Because if somebody clicks on the, on the ad in Google and it takes 10 seconds for the page to load, they're probably going to click away. So unless the page can load in a nanosecond like that, uh, that's something that immediately, immediately can up their okay, what, numbers. What's another thing? Yeah. Uh, another thing is just looking at their campaigns just at a really granular level. Sometimes people are really lazy and sloppy in the way that they set up AdWords campaigns and we go in there and unpick the campaigns, fix the negative keywords, fix their, the keyword matches and all that sort of thing. It's, it's very, very vanilla and it's very um, yeah, rudimentary. So, so it'd be something like this, like, you know, hey, John, I'm looking at your campaigns and, you know, we're spending $3,000, we're getting $300, you know, dollars in return. Uh, you know, that's a very high frustration level. You know, I see here we've got, we bought the t- top 10 keywords and, you know, the maximum pricing and uh, we, you know, our expect is a 5% click through and we're getting a 1.5% click through. If you look over here, you know, we look at the data and run it through our machine, you can see a couple things happening. You know, obviously load times are, uh, you know, not in the, in the nanoseconds, they're up in the three to five second range. That's got to be down into four seconds. We just did this other week with some guy was up, you know, at, at 10 second load time, we got that down into, uh, you know, 50 milliseconds really where it needs to be. The, you know, the other thing that's happening is these campaigns are recycling. You know, when some of them are at low production value, somebody's got to sort these out and weed them out. You do the weed out, get, get uh, you know, pages loading in, you know, 50 milliseconds or less and get the campaign sorted. This thing's going to be spinning at 10x that you want to be at. Mm. So nobody thinks that you could be that specific talking about a problem and a solution so specifically mm. if you haven't done it. And literally you can't if you haven't done it so many times. So if somebody says that to me, you know, um, uh, you know, I give the example of a, um, uh, so Rob, what, what kind of car do you drive by the way? I I drive an old, an old Holden Astra. I don't even know what that is. A Holden. Oh, that used to be Ford or an an Opel. It's a German car. Opel. Okay. Oh, uh, so, so that's a perfect example. You know, um, what was the last problem it had? The throttle box died on me and I had to get it fixed. Okay. Yeah. So, so. You know, let's say you take it, you know, you're hearing a noise, you take it into one shop, the guy comes out and he goes, hey, listen, yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely making a noise, fan belts are squeaking, whatever. It's 350 bucks. Leave it here. We'll call you tomorrow. We'll tell you what we think the problem is. If you decide to have it fixed here, uh, we'll apply the 350 to the repair bill. And you go, mm, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know I'm going to spend 350 bucks. I don't know if I'm going to get the solution. You drive to the next shop and he goes, oh, yeah, hold, hold an Astra. You know, it's funny. You know, this is the old Opal. Oh, you can see right here. 
this one was made in the factory in the last three weeks of the factory was open when the, and originally they moved the factory over to Stuttgart, right? And they were still using the 150C fan belts. That's a totally wrong fan belt for this car. They should have been using the 15305, but that's what they had. So they put it on. They didn't think anybody would notice, but what happened is they started making the gears vacillate. That's where you get a little gear oil here. You're hearing that noise. Press that. Yeah, you hear that? So we got to get, look, we have 50 of these out back. 151279 fan belt. 23706 gear with the right gear oil. Leave this with me. It's 450 bucks. Come tomorrow morning. I have it running for you. I've done 100 of these in the last three months. I'll see you tomorrow. So that is certainty mm. that you know this problem. You know the origin of it, that you're positioned to fix it. You've done this 20, 30, 50 times. You do it all the time. Spend the money. Come back tomorrow. It will be done. That's your job is to give somebody certainty the things you say will happen in the future will actually happen. Mm, beautifully, beautifully articulated. And when you're on the receiving end and somebody's doing that to you, it feels good. I love the sales process and I love seeing professionals deliver it like that. It, it feels good, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, I'm at uh, AutoZone, you know, buying some parts and the guy goes to me, hey, that's a that's an interesting alternator. Don't see too many of those. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to repair it. What's, he goes, what's that off of 54, 56 Ford, right? I go, yeah, it's a 56 Ford. He's like, yeah, I've restored, you know, four of those. You know, getting that alternate, you know, true story. He goes, getting that alternator brushes, you can't find a replacement. It's a real pain to put those in. You know, what, it's got a 351 Windsor in it, right? Yeah, it had a 351 Cleveland. It's got a 351s. Yeah, it's really hard because, you know, they put the starter motor too close so that today's alternators won't work. You got to repair the brushes. You know, I've done five of these. I go, hey, is there any chance you'd work on mine? He's like, yeah, I'm super expensive though. I go, I don't care, right? Can you come by the shop on Saturday? He's like, yeah, I'll be there. Boom. It's like I bumped into somebody. You know, he probably hangs out at AutoZone all day long, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, is that a 72 clutch? Hey, is that an 84 transmission, right? But for all I know, I just like, oh my God, I just bumped into the world's most amazing expert in my problem. Mm. There's no amount of money that I, I wouldn't throw at this guy to, to just be in the same room with him for an hour and, and, and pick his brain. That's how it should feel. It shouldn't feel, hey, so nice to meet you. Oh, you like um, baseball? I like baseball, yeah. right? Um, you know, so, so tell me a little bit about um, your problem. How long have you had this problem? You know, how, what's your objective for web advertising? Where do you want to be at in three years? What are your goals? What's your mission? What's your objective? How many people in your company? How much have you spent in the last three years? Mm -hmm. You know, how much do you want to spend? What's your budget? You know, what does success look like for you? Success for me looks like you getting out of here. That's what success <laughs> looks like. And, and so that's, that's not a good feeling when the customer has to give you all the information so you can negotiate against them. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully, beautifully said. One of the great things that is in the Flip the Script book, and again, that's just been hiding in plain sight the whole time, but there's, I think maybe it's your writing style because I've kind of engaged with you from my own personal perspective for many years, just like reading your books and listening to the audio book and whatnot, pitch anything particularly. But one of the things that you say in the book that really, really connected with me, and you see a lot of people out there, a lot of sales trainers out there, a lot of sales methodologies out there that are pain-based selling. And I've never, ever been a fan of pain-based selling. You've got to yeah. get to the bottom of somebody's problem and make it seem like it's so damn bad. I've always yeah. thought that the selling process is supposed to be something that's enjoyable, both for the buyer and for the professional salesperson doing it and taking somebody all the way down a rabbit hole of, Oh my God, if we don't fix this, you're going to die and your family's going to die and your firstborn child's going to be abducted. That is never, ever resonated with me. And there's still people out there today. I saw one yesterday that was doing pain based selling techniques. And I'm like, what is this 1973? It's ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah. And, and the thing that you, the, just the words that you put in the book there that in, in the flip the script book, winter is coming. And I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan or anything like that, but it just, for some reason, it, it put that in my mind. And it when did. winter is it did, coming, yeah. it really, it really kind of reminds me that, yeah, I better, I better get my act together. I better do something about this because yes. And it's just innate in human nature to maintain the status quo. But if I know winter is coming and it's such, such clever such clever vernacular that you put in there just really connected with me as, as the reader like that. So, is that something that you used all the time or is it something you wrote it, into the book? 
It is. And, and some people accuse this in some ways of being fear-based selling like, hey, you know, there's a change coming in. If you don't understand the change, you're going to be in trouble. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. So, so for example, the example I use, when stadium seating came to the theater industry, complete nuclear winter to every other form of theater. <laughs> why would you want to sit in a theater where you can't see over Robin Orn? Robin, how tall are you, by the way? Just on six foot. Six foot. Okay. So I'm over here, five nine, five ten. Rob's six foot. We're not particularly, you know, basketball players. We sit in front of you like, ah, hell, I can't see anything. Terrible. Stadium seating, by the way, not the, you know, they serve you sushi and lobster and beer and you recline. Just the, the damn plastic seat is higher than the other seat in front of it. Mm. Okay. That wiped out. So if I was a consultant in that industry, so I go, hey, listen, Rob, so stadium seating is been moving out here from the West. I've seen the permits being pulled. In this market, there's going to be six stadium theaters in the next five months. If we don't go pull permits and get this started away, it's going to be a complete wipeout. Let, right? Nobody knows how to pull permits, get construction, and, and get the seats in faster. Right? But the world that, that you operate in today is completely changing. And mm. if we don't get ahead of that change, right, and react to it efficiently, completely, and, and cost-effectively, it's going to be, we're going to move from the best operator in the city, county, whatever, to the worst, okay? So, look, happy to, th- this is how, by the way, this is how it happened, right? Stadium in California, you know how those guys are, you know, they started wanting a better experience, and they built a few, and then they built 50, and then they built 100, and then started moving this way, right? And at this point, what I'd like to do is, if you're interested, right? And it's totally up to you. Some people go, hey, this is legacy. We love it. We're going to keep this theater the way it is. People love coming here. If they see any changes, they won't want to come to Crown Theaters. We're going to leave it the way it is. I totally understand. Just go, all you have to do is say, Oren, your head is full of dead insects. I don't care. Leave me alone. I want the theater the way it is. See, the difference is the autonomy. The nuance of giving somebody autonomy takes it out of fear to, I'm trying to help. Mm. winter's coming and so every industry has it tax tariffs real estate internet cloud i mean you can't you can't name an industry data science deep fakes there's not an industry that doesn't have some real big environmental shifts that if you don't get the skills needed to operate in that shift you're going to be in big trouble right and look some people don't want to change other people want to do it all themselves which i totally appreciate some people want to hire mckinsey to do it you have a million dollar check, you want to hire McKinsey, you want to tell your wife and your partner, oh, we hired McKinsey and feel good about it. No problem. I totally understand. Right. Mm. But I can tell you McKinsey who's going to be working on your account, interns. <laughs> so, so the difference is it's not fear. It's unpacking what is happening in the environment, what skills are needed to survive and saying and opting out. And if somebody says, no, you know, I don't want to do it myself. I definitely don't have a million dollars to spend on McKinsey. I say, okay, well, then you got a couple options. Let me tell you what we do. Mm. Okay. So this is not fear mongering. It is giving people insight, you know, because the old Zig Ziglar stuff was, you know, light something on fire so you can sell, sell them fire extinguishers. I'm not lighting the internet on fire by creating the cloud. I'm pulling back the curtains and saying, this is what's happening in the cloud. And if you don't have this kind of presence and this kind of server and this kind of response time and this kind of skill set, it's going to be difficult to compete going forward. Absolutely. I, I, feel, I feel like the, the terminology of winter is coming brings pitch anything full circle, if I could draw that circle. Because right at pitch anything, you use intrigue and anticipation. And yeah. intrigue and anticipation creates desire. And never in my digital career, never a truer statement has ever been made about a website. If you can have something that's intriguing in an ad or intriguing on the headlines and the subheadings of a, of, a head, of a website, it creates desire for you to stay there, to scroll a little bit more. And desire online translates to a click and to an action and to doing something that you want to do. And I feel like winter is coming creates huge anticipation. Yeah. What do you mean? It's, it's just turned, it's almost summer here in Australia. Winter's not coming, but winter is coming. Winter yeah. is coming. So I'm intrigued about that. So it doesn't trigger fight, flight, eat or mate. And then it lets that anticipation builds a little bit more something there that makes me go, well, what is the winter that's coming? And I feel like it's 
it's not fear-based selling. It's not pain-based selling. It's intrigue and anticipation creating desire not to be a naughty boy and to do the right thing and to anticipate what's actually going to happen. Because if winter does come, man, we're in trouble in a business. Yeah. I, I tell you where I, I glommed on this idea and you, you start in the right direction, which is Game of Thrones. So if you watch Game of Thrones and they get in trouble because there's so many characters, so many relationships, so it's many. confusing when you first start watching that show. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but they, the writers get all, you know, spun up on character arcs and locations and they lose an actor and, and so they have to replace with an actor and the relationship and it all becomes so confusing that they just hit the, you know, that button on missile command, <laughs> you can hit it like three times that you hit it and it wipes everything out. And they just, once it gets so confusing, they can't explain how the dragons and the relationships and the dwarfs and the giants all work together. They go, winter is coming. And everyone goes, ah, right. And you forget about everything that's happening and they got to respond to this, external threat mm. right and so now all the people who hate each other and fighting and making love we also have to work together to against a common enemy which is so that's why i got there like every time that show gets in trouble winter is coming right it's not like a theme they have every and if you notice that i go aha but the reality is in your industry no matter what it is there's something changing that if somebody especially if it's technical if they don't get the skills to adapt to the change they're going to fall to the back of the market. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of change, one of the one of the big mistakes that I see in salespeople that I hire in my organization, and I've had a few new people come come and go through the revolving door of, of that in the last couple of weeks, and I've got a couple of to stick around, which have been really, really great. And the ones that have stuck around, they have really strong values, and they have uh, really great character, and you've written that into flip the script. And I'm like, man, this is like all the things that are, that I know, but you kind of put it into one place. And when you explain it like that, it, it just makes so much more sense for me what's actually happening. And one of the, one of the things that I mean by that, that, that these new business development people have values and character is they maintain the status quo of who they are throughout the selling process. They don't go through the different archetypes of people that you potentially could go through. And you explain that beautifully in your book right towards the end where you shouldn't be the nice guy trying to be likable and be everybody's friend. And then you're going through different character sets in order to try and win the business because the, the buyer is so sophisticated these days that they can spot those 1970s techniques, right? So we, we have something built in in humans called cheater detection, right? It's <laughs> helped us when we were in small tribes be, be, very sensitive to anybody who was lying and and we had to be able to detect lies for survival and we had to commonly go hey that guy's lying and go oh yeah i agree so we could get groups so we very very sensitive cheater detection so when you are the nice guy at the start of the sale right and then you're the kind of cool guy right you know the cool guy a little bit edgy in the middle of the sale and then you're this, the angel towards it. So what do you think? Is this something to be interested in? Then the objections come out, you know, when you're the attack dog. Who are you? Nice guy, attack dog, angel, you know, cool Confused. guy. Confused. And the cheater detection goes up. This guy's manipulating me. Every time I have an emotional need, this guy is suddenly the person who feeds that emotional need. And you think you're satisfying the buyer, but you're actually triggering him to be afraid of you. So it's very nuanced, but having a common set of values, so incredibly important. And, and, you know, it's funny, and we could talk about this, but I go to people, hey, what are your values? They go, well, honesty, integrity, morality, fairness, <laughs> uh, you know, likability, helping people out that need help, you know, don't cover your neighbor's wife. I mean, no, you're reading me the Bible. These aren't your, these aren't your values. These are the values of human beings. Like, what, what are your, like, what makes you mad? So I would ask you, Rob, like, what makes you mad? People that are, are crappy at the selling process, it's very frustrating for me. And, and okay. you know, I, I have people ring me up all the time on the phone. I get telemarketed. I don't know what it's like where you guys are in the US, but I get telemarketed all the time. And they're like, hello, is that Robert? Yeah. You ring me up on the phone and you've got my phone number. You know, it's me. Don't start the conversation like that. Thanks very much. Goodbye. See you later. Hey, Roberto. Robbie. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so, so one of your values is clearly integrity to your craft. So if you call yourself a salesperson, better know that craft. What's another thing that makes you mad? Repeating myself constantly. Listen to the instructions the first time. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I would say that is the value of, you know, of commitment, right? Committing to the present moment. 
mm-hmm. right? Focus. And so these are things that, you know, so like, like, you know, I didn't hear lying, right? Because people lie to you all the time. You're like, I don't care. I just got to sort it all out. You know, kill them all. Let God sort them out. People lie to me. People don't. You don't really seem triggered by it, Mm-mm. right? You seem triggered by other things. So those are your values, mm-hmm. right? And so you tell, if you told a buyer up front, hey, listen, uh, you know, we're going to be selling each other. I'm going to be selling you and you're going to be selling me because we've got to arrive at a price. What's the price? Well, we know what the price is. It's more than you want to pay, less than I want to charge. That's the price, right? But, but I, you know, one of my values is if you're going to sell me, I'll buy in the, in the form of a discount, but sell well. Mm. Okay. And so when they come back around, they go, Hey Rob, uh, you know, why don't you take uh, 30% off because you know, we have another firm across town that we go talk to. Otherwise you go, listen, I already told you, I'm happy to have you ask for a discount, right? But it's got to be done with integrity and sales commitment. That's a mess, right? I'm not accepting that discount because the way it's sold. Mm. So, you know, it's a very nuanced, but you know, the other thing you said is, um, oh yeah, I don't want to tell you twice, right? Say, listen, a very short on time. I'm going to help you understand your digital marketing program here today. I'm not going to do it for you. I will not work on your company harder than you'll work on it yourself. Please grab a notepad or whatever you need, you know, record this because I've done this stuff a million times. I don't like to cover it multiple times. It's not a good use of my time. Mm. Right. Then later on they go, Oh, Rob, well, you know, what was it you said? And can you write it up and send a proposal over and say, listen, I will help you out. Right. But we have to have alignment. Right. When I say go do something, it's because it's based on experience and you have to go, you have to write it down and you have to go do it. Okay. Otherwise we can't work together. And that way your integrity is around your values and it makes you a very charismatic, strong person that people want to work with. But you can't have values at the closing table right? Because then you're self-interested. So yeah. it's really important. Like, and, and maybe we can finish up on this. This is the way I do it. I said, listen, and they go, how much is it? You go, how much is it? I don't know. It's, it's, it's more than you want to pay. That's for sure. Right. And they go, well, you know, how much, you know, how much is, I go, listen, I, I don't know exactly what you need, but the bookends are 25 to 75,000. If any of those numbers like freak you out, we're in the wrong place. I'll send you over to the Costco version of this, you know, the, the discount version. I've got some friends over there. They'll help you out. Right. But, but listen, if it's ultimately pricing is not a reason why people do this or not do it. We got to get through a lot. Do we like each other? I don't even know if I like you. <laughs> we haven't gotten that far, right? Let's figure it. Do we like each other? Can we work well together? If we work well together, can we build something on time, on budget? If we build something on budget, on time, will other people use it? That's what I got to try and figure out, right? And then I go to my value. Listen, th- what we do is hard to do, Right. And so I got to figure out my values are I, you know, I'm a combative personality because I push people because I want every, I want the best for you. If we get in one little tiff, is that it? Is all blown out and the account's over and we work for naught? Or can we get in an argument? Like I do something wrong, legitimately wrong. We're sorry. It doesn't cover it. I actually don't put the website out on the right day. Can we actually be mad at each other and continue working towards a common goal? That's what I'm trying to figure out because that's where my values are. Yeah, it's beautiful. And a lot of what you just said is my exact vernacular when I'm communicating at a, at a sales process, but that's because you understand the values that I've got there. So it's, it's really, really good. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're liking what you're hearing today with uh, Oren Claff, please go and grab a copy of his book, Flip the Script. And if you're looking for that, don't look too far. Just have a little peek at your phone and right there in the show notes is going to be the links to Oren's website and to Audible so you can get a copy of that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and it's going to be right there for you as well. So make sure you click that, get a copy because this is just the teaser for what's inside that book, which is a hell of a lot of fun. Well, as we draw out this interview, Oren, I, I, can't, I can't let you go without asking about motorbikes, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm a motorbike guy as well. I've been threatening to get another bike for a little while here, but I live in a small apartment. We don't have a lot of space. There's only kind of a one-car garage, and that's the excuse I'm making anyway. But have you got a favorite ride that you got at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the bike that that I'm really enjoying the most is is a Ducati 748R. Nice. Very cool bike. Pretty rare. I like the Ducatis. On the track or on the street? It's a street bike, yeah. Yeah. Do you ride much on the street or mostly on the track? Well, I used to ride on the track, but now I have a little boy. And so it's like, you know, any spare time I spend with him, not off at the Edwards Air Force Base, you know, riding on a track. It's time consuming when you go out to a racetrack. It takes all day, right? 
yeah, it takes all day, and you know, you're, you can't really take a, a little boy out there. And yeah, yeah it doesn't really work. It doesn't yeah. really work. Well, Aaron, I can't let you go, mate, without putting you in the podcast or hot seat. A couple of random sure. questions from a from a person who's traveled the world and and has in, enjoyed a, a good career and a, and a fantastic career. A couple of random questions. Have you got a? I love to ask this question because it's always really not what I expect. Have you got a favorite holiday destination that you take your family? Hawaii. You cannot screw up Hawaii. You know, hey, you want to go with your buddy, you know, go surfing in Costa Rica or go to Scotland or whatever, but you're taking your family and you don't want your luggage stolen and you don't want to get stabbed or lose a car or they now have a hotel. Just go to the Four Seasons in Hawaii. It's really easy. Can't go wrong. Beautiful. We went to Hawaii a couple of years ago and I have to say it was pretty, pretty damn good. Great place, great place. Hey, uh, what's, a, what's a skill that you've not yet mastered? Social media. <laughs> Why, why not? You seem to do pretty good in social media. What's going on? I do, but you know, um, if you think about Instagram, it's hustle porn and I don't think you have to hustle. You know, yeah. I think you have to be good and skilled. Do you have one social media that you prefer over the other? Like Facey or LinkedIn or Instagram or something like that? Is there one well, different? I like Instagram because the feedback is so quick and you can, you don't really see what works. You can post stuff yourself. So I, I like it, but it's tricky. Well, we have a lot of listeners to this in this show. So what's your handle there? Oh, it's Oren Claff, surprisingly. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Have a peek at your phone. I'll put it in the show notes there for you. Make sure you go and follow Oren there. And give him oh, yeah, there's great content. For a while, I was doing a daily thing, you know, and, and sales managers were going, well, why'd you stop doing those? I was, I was teaching my morning program for 400 salespeople off of your Instagram post. I go, exactly. That's why. <laughs> All right, last one. What's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Yeah. The, the, the best piece of advice that I've ever received is never be needy. Neediness kills deals. Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely echo that one. Well, mate, thank you again so much for coming on the Goal In podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend the better part of an hour here with you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, maybe a super fan, Pat Flynn style, and I really appreciate you taking the time to write those books and share your knowledge and wisdom with the world because it's definitely, definitely had a really positive impact on my life. And I'm sure that that's what you were intending to do when you wrote those books as well. That's awesome. That's nice of you to say for sure. Oren, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, for, for sure. Go to orenclaff.com. I'm running a contest there. Um, I'm going to fly somebody, probably not you, if you're in Australia, to, to California. That's a tricky one. But there's a contest running there where I might not fly you here, you know, unless you get to the United States first, but I definitely will help you out on your business using these, these skills. So orenclaff.com, sign up for that. Beautiful. All right, mate, before I let you go, have we got a, uh, a parting comment, a parting shot? So, I mean, the only parting shot I have is, and as cheesy as it sounds, Rob, I mean, you know, thank you for putting the podcast out and bringing, you know, that's the Lord's work and nobody pays you for it. Uh, you get a couple of accounts here and there, but uh, you know, the guys who are doing this, I really appreciate it. Doing, doing fantastic work. So that's my parting shot. Give it up for Rob. Awesome. Thank you, Oren. That's the very least I could do for you, mate, after all you've done for me. So thank you so much. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Bye for now. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Oren, just take a peek at your phone and you'll see the links to his website and to his socials right there. So you're not going to have to go digging around them. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and all of the links are right there in the description. As always, if you've got a comment or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Goalin socials or you can send me an email. Just visit goalin.com.au for more information. And if you like what you heard today, One thing that can help us out a whole lot here at the Goal In Show is by leaving us a five-star review. So if you'd be so inclined, we'd really appreciate that as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time. Not thinking twice when mine is done, although I know you're all I want. How could I crave something so bad?
Can't help myself 